0: We'll go to Titus chapter 1 for our reading. Titus 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of the chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment, of god our savior verse 4 to titus my true child in a common faith grace and peace from god the father in christ jesus our savior for this reason i left you in crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as i directed you namely if any man is above reproach the husband of one wife having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion for the overseer must be above reproach as god's steward not self-will not quick-tempered not addicted, to, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both to exhort and sound and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not for the sake of sordid game. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient, and worthless. worthless, excuse me, for any good deed. Let's pray. Father, we set sail this morning on another day that you have sovereignly ordained. And we wouldn't dare presume to sail even a kilometer into the day apart from prayer and declaring our need for you, Uh, whether we are on a mountain peak as it were now, a high point or a low point, whether it's looking to be smooth sailing or rough seas, Father, we look to you And as every day is really a declaration of dependence on you. You are sovereign God who, who is monitoring every water molecule in the oceans. In the rivers, the lakes, every galaxy and star far away, and everything in between, even overseeing our own our own wicked souls, Father, and our bodies, we thank you that you are a gracious Father, and a kind and a merciful God, and a savior, as we read here in Titus 1. Christ Jesus, our Savior and our God. Father, thank you for this food. Thank you for a time to get together with the brothers. Thank, thank, thank you very much for the, just the masculine unity we have here in Christ and in the Word of God. It is a sweet and precious thing. And may it continue to foster and grow as we look to your Word. Strengthen us that we would be better men from your Word, by your Spirit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, gentlemen. Uh, we are... Looking from last week, the the study we dipped into last week, the sovereignty of God, masculinity and the sovereignty of God. We've been looking at, you know, parent or excuse me, uh, marriage, work, masculinity and embracing discomfort. And uh, we pulled over in park to uh, chit-chat about the sovereignty of God. And, excuse me, masculinity and the sovereignty of God. Does anyone need those notes? Masculinity and the sovereignty of God. Okay. Um, I'm, I don't want to repeat everything we talked about last week, but briefly, um, grab those notes. I'm going to do just a quick review. This is an essential lesson, gentlemen, uh, because it's an essential topic, I should say. The sovereignty of God. Um, the sovereignty of God summed up in a verse is Psalm 135, 6. Whatever Yahweh, whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven, on earth, in the sea, in all deeps. So that's, really that's really the core of the sovereignty of God. He does whatever He wants. And as much as man in his wickedness talks about free will and debates about that, there's really no discussion about that in Scripture, except that man's a sinner. The only discussion about free will in the Bible is God's free will. And verses like Psalm 135, 6 and Psalm 115, 3 would be a parallel and many, many, many others. Uh, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. So it's essential to talk about the sovereignty of God, just a few introductory reasons. Um, Can we get some notes to brother? uh, Thank you, Matt. Um, We talked about how the sovereignty of God distinguishes the true God of the Bible from all false gods. Um, When God is distinguishing himself, whether in Athens or Egypt, from the false gods, he talks about his sovereignty. Uh, Also, because the sovereignty of God helps us avoid worshiping idols. Uh, Any god or any doctrine where God is not sovereign is an idol. Um, The god of Pelagianism is an idol, a false god. Um, A a dumb statue, at best. Uh, It's a... Fixture of man's own fallen manufacturing. Um, the sovereignty of God also gives comfort to the man of God that the Lord is my shepherd. That, that's a that's a, that's about the sovereignty of God, and so I shall not want. If I take the wings of the dawn, bottom of the sea, you're there. Psalm one thirty nine in your notes. Psalm one thirty nine sixteen. Before I was even born, all the days were written. The sovereignty of God. Romans eight twenty eight revelation 21 4 he'll wipe away every tear this is all about the sovereignty of god so the sovereignty of god gives comfort to the man of god then we talked about how the sovereignty of god helps is is an essential not a peripheral doctrine to form maturity in the man of god that really there's a sense that as we grow from from you know the teenage years and youthfulness into manhood, we also are to grow from uh, the immaturity of semi-Pelagianism and Arminianism to Calvinism. That, that's a maturation, um, uh, both theologically and moral, spiritually, ethically. Um, because uh, we talked about last week, you know, in our in our youth. Um, let's go this way. This to this this morning, we talked about in our youth right in our teen years and 20, and 20s even for some of us if a lot like me um, really you're you're at the center of your life it's all about you it's all about what i want and and you know my sports and my achievements. and really my world isn't a whole lot bigger than myself as as I'm a young guy an adolescent a teenager even you know even even later for some of us but then we we realize that the most logical for and rational thing for any man to do is to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, right? That's like essential for manhood um, and felinity. And as, as we grow and some of these smaller God doctrines, you have God kind of becomes like an appendage. And, you know, when it's convenient, I do what he wants, and think about him, and I try to fit him into my schedule. Really, it's still about me. And we hear people say things. Well, I'm a, like, I'm a Christian, but I couldn't believe in a God who would, right? Um, that's an unfortunate thing to say, because maybe God might not believe in you who would, uh, or something like that. And so. And these days, and even in this mindset, it's not necessarily affixed and attached to these years of your life, but this similar mindset of of
1: immaturity, um, you know, the idea that uh, I choose, um,
0: I kind of relegate God to no bigger than what I can imagine in a little box that I can fit in my mind. And so this, so things like various, Various degrees of Arminianism and Pelagianism kind of fit into that. Well, we, we choose God. Uh, and things like, well, God is, can't be sovereign. We can't believe in a God who would send people to hell and these kind of things. But as we mature, right, we, by the grace of God alone, okay, this isn't because a guy is better than any other guy, by the grace of God alone, we realize, like, whoa, wait a second, there's a big world and maybe we start to read books or or travel or God just matures us or whatever it might be, and we realize, whoa, there's a huge God. There's, There's things like stars in the sky and world and millennia of history that have been going on long before I've been alive. A sovereign God who sits in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And so this... Just a person in a teen and even someone in their 20s matures and things like, not always, but things like marriage and fatherhood, if God allows us things or whatever, and getting a job or being involved in things and contributing to society in various ways, you realize, well, oh, the, the, the world's a lot bigger than just me. And in that same way, analogous to this, we realize, wow, God's a lot bigger than just me. And I'm like, right here, right? And it's not that I add God to my life. That's an that's a unfortunate understanding and a, a wrong view of life and masculinity and maturation. But that I've actually always been living in God's hand, even if I'm a rank Satanist. Sam Smith lives in the palm of God's hand. You know, when he gets on stage and puts his horns on, goofy thing, and my God, save him. Everybody lives in the palm of God's hand. From Adam and Eve, to the, to the last guy born, to the most devourer of Christ, and the most rank rejecter of Christ, they live under the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign. Psalm 135, 6. Psalm 40, uh, not Psalm, excuse me. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says, don't you know, And Isaiah 46, 9. I've declared everything from the end to the beginning.
1: I've declared it all. Lamentations 3, 37 to 39. Behold, whatever
0: happens, has it not come from the mouth of the Most High, whether it's good or evil? Ecclesiastes 7, 13 to 14. Behold, who can straighten with the Lord's bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other.
1: God is sovereign. And if you have even one little thing, one, you know,
0: water molecule, H2O out here, one that isn't under the sovereignty of God, then you have a catastrophic, just an explosive situation. It's actually fictitious. This can't happen, can't exist. You don't have a universe, non-existence. You have nothing. So everything from a dust, water to you, to the world, to heaven, hell, Christ, the galaxies are all within the sovereignty of God. And so that's part of maturation and masculinity and forming a man's character. It's so much bigger than just ourselves
1: and my little agenda. Whether you're living in defiance to God, compliance to
0: God, submission to God, or
1: disobedience, we're all living under His sovereignty. And you can't. That went. went. From God's hand to God's hand. When we try to
0: run and hide and, well, I'm going to do something, I don't, I'm, I'm done with God, we run from God's hand. When we're born, we're born in God's hand. When we die, we die in God's hand. When we enter eternity, we enter eternity in God's hand, either to hell or heaven. Hell isn't the absence of God, it's the presence of God in his sovereign, calculated, crisp, perfect judicial wrath. And heaven is under the sovereignty of God in his perfect, crisp mercy administered to the person of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So as we mature, we mature from semi-Pelagianism into the doctrines of what? Sovereign grace. All, All the doctrines, someone asked Spurgeon one day, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century, Calvinistic sort of Baptist preacher in London, they said, well, what what's all this Calvinism stuff? Garbage. And and the only people who say that are the people who don't who don't haven't studied it. Um and you, do you guys know how Spurgeon answered that? Has anyone heard this story? How did he answer it? It wasn't one of his like the cigar story or that. It, it was simply it, simply that salvation is of the Lord. Jonah 2, nine. And I like that it was Jonah who said that of all people. See Law on that for a minute. That's good stuff. That's all it is, gentlemen. As we mature from we choose God and God didn't know that this thing was going to happen. And I was, someone sent me a video. Um, part of my son died uh, when I watched it. It was, I, I can't remember what Christ, Christian college it was. And the well-meaning, probably, but unfortunate chapel band got up and sang a song about, I mean, literally, the words were like, God chooses, you know, to the weather and chooses to have animals and chooses this, but when it comes to salvation, he allows us to choose him. It was like literally the words. And it's just, uh, you know, that's not that's not what the Bible says. And that's a, that's a different God. It's actually a different religion, too. Because the sovereignty of God is the godness of God. And the doctrines of grace is just the sovereignty of God in the most precious and sacred realm. The most precious and sacred realm. You've also heard Spurgeon say it's a funny thing that men men, insist on choosing wives for themselves. But when it comes to allowing God to choose a wife for his son, they forbid him from doing so right? You understand that? So anyhow, the sovereignty of God forms, helps form a man's character to grow in smallness and therefore maturity. And one of the most critical ways that we do so is is transitioning from a sort of a, a juvenile plagian type thinking about God to a more biblical sovereignty of God, doctrines of grace, understanding of God. This is just as I mature from youthfulness, life's all about me and me doing whatever I want, to, whoa, there's a big world out there, and I'm actually a small part of it, so it is in in this maturation theologically.
1: Questions about that? Comments? Thoughts? Make sense?
0: This isn't like... Well, you believe that, and we believe this, and you agree, we agree to disagree, and you know maybe you're more Calvinistic in your soteriology. we, 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 don't, we don't accept that. Um, this is just, we're just talking about who God is.
1: You, you, you go to
0: when, you, when we start believing in the sovereignty of God and embrace what really is, when you read the Bible, it just jumps out in every other verse. I mean, one time I did just an experiment on myself, this is years ago in seminary, and I just took a highlighter and highlighted where God says, I will, I will, I will, in the latter chapters uh, of Ezekiel, and like my whole, like pages of my Bible are blue. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And it's all, it's, all of those passages are, are eschatological and soteriological in nature about salvation and about the future. Because we live life. From Genesis one to Revelation twenty two and beyond, from heaven to hell, from unsaved to saved, from in Adam to in Christ, we live it under the sovereignty of God. And this isn't like, this isn't like an optional appendage belief. Just oh, well, way way down in the fine print of your doctrinal statement, it's tertiary. It's way out here. It's it's, it's non consequential. Now this is the center of it. The doctrines of grace related to the sovereignty of God. This is center for the man, for knowing his God and not bowing down to some Baal version of God and consequently in the man's maturation. God's someone. I mean, the, the repercussions of this are significant. God's someone who I actually need to obey. It's hell if you don't.
1: You don't heaven for obeying, Well, in a sense you do putting Christ. But I obey because God is God, right? Thoughts? No thoughts. Phil, what do you got? Thoughts? I'm stoked, man. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Okay.
0: All right. Um, and so th- Paul will talk about this. It's just a little preview in Romans. Um, Paul's going to discuss this, as we mentioned briefly last week, in Romans 9, big time, in a wonderful way. You know, and I like what Steve Lawson says about Romans 9. He says, too many church members and professing believers have never had adult conversation surrounding Romans 9. And that is true. Okay? So, the sovereignty of God, it comforts us helps us worship the true God, matures us as men to mature into a proper belief about the doctrines of sovereign grace. And and by the way, that will radically change your worship. That will significantly change your worship. Worship will look entirely different. Okay. Um, Courage and humility, we talked about that. Testimony the church number two. So the testimony of God's sovereignty from the church, just to encourage us that, you know, this isn't like a new doctrine. Obviously it's not new, it's in the Bible, but um, greater men than, than myself uh, have way, way, way greater, have seen this, have observed it. Just a small sampling of godly men and hardworking exegetes who, who have observed this, John Calvin said, God, by his eternal counsel, Manages all things in such a manner that nothing can be done but by his will and appointment. It's good stuff. Hence, whatever takes place in the world is according to the will of God, not his will that any evil should be done. So we understand that. So what do you mean? It's his will and it's not his will. Well, we understand that we have, what, what are the two wills of God? What are they called? Yep. Yep. His prescriptive,
1: or sometimes it's called revealed, and
0: uh, decorative, or sometimes it's a secret will. Okay. This, these are just the things that are what in Scripture commanded. Okay. These are the things that God says to do, right? Do nothing with selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider others more important than yourselves. The Ten Commandments. Okay, no, God above me, don't worship idols, don't take my name in vain, etc. cetera. His revealed will, what he says to do. However, nothing is outside of the sovereignty of God, and so everything that happens is, is called his decorative or his secret will, or His sometimes his sovereign will, depending on, you know, what theology reading or whatever. Okay. Um, on the apparent problem of evil, God says, excuse me, Calvin says, how can God be sovereign and evil exist? Quote, those who speak as if this would be to render God the author of evil are perverse despotants. Classic Calvin. Filthy dogs, though they be, Yet they will not, by their barking, be able to substantiate a charge of lying against the prophet, the writer of Scripture, humanly speaking, or take the government of the world out of God's hand. So you guys know the the syllogism, the supposed syllogism. Um, Number one,
1: evil what? Evil exists. two, God is...
0: uh, sometimes it's phrased that way i think most times it's phrased god is what
1: god is all powerful or sovereign okay therefore how can god be what good
0: how can god be loving how can god be merciful okay that's they they try to catch you on that how can god be good Loving whatever, and I think they're clever with that, but Calvin just Calvin just took care of it right there in that quote. Okay, he has his decorative will; he has his revealed will. Versus like Ezekiel eighteen thirty-two, uh, God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Habakkuk one thirteen, he, he cannot; his eyes are too pure to look on or approve of evil. Yet yeah, Romans eight twenty-eight. And Ephesians 1.11, he, he causes all things to work together for good. He, he's predestined all things according to the counsel of his will. And we know the ending, Revelation one and 22, that this is going to work out. And furthermore, as Paul will say in adult conversation, manly conversation in Romans 9, he'll talk about how, well, actually God he has made vessels of honor and vessels of what? Dishonor in order to magnify his mercy. Um, And that's a hard thing. Relatives and friends like I do, and probably many of you do, who who went to hell or are going to hell by the authority of Scripture and many other very difficult things. But nevertheless, the truth about God remains. Right? And that has a necessary humbling effect, which is by intention on the man, which is essential to his development moving across the scale in masculinity. Really, we could say all of this is humility, is increasing and increasing. You cannot grow in, in, in humility apart from this, from the sovereignty of God. Why not? Why are you going to be this? Your growth is going to be stunted back here if, if you if you wrestle or not wrestle if you refuse that doctrine everybody wrestles with it why will your why will you only you'll hardly make any gains in humility if any if you refuse that yeah and what is wanted sovereignty i like that tyler thank you what is that gentlemen help him out here self-glory why is it self-glory, Todd, or anything?
1: Yeah, it's unto me, by me, for me, to me, for my glory. Why did God design salvation
0: where even the ability to put faith in Jesus, God has to give us that ability? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, John 3.
1: Like, even, even why did God make it that way? Yeah. Exactly. Th- this is on
0: purpose, and this is what Paul is talking to in-, in 1 Corinthians, talking to the guys in 1 Corinthians about. It's no coincidence that a church, Corinth, 55 AD, that is, it's just sadly juvenile in their spiritual maturity. He calls them babies. you are all spiritual babies. And there's division and drunkenness and tons of sexual immorality in the church and just pride, slander, all these like utterly infantile behaviors. And the first thing, That the apostle paul talks about in 1 corinthians 1 18 well really to 31 is how god designed salvation to i mean drop a hydrogen bomb on man's pride i mean to send laser-guided nukes into the citadel of man's proud heart, and to absolutely destroy it, and to drop daisy cutters on the bastion of man's wicked self-worship, that God designed the gospel so that no one may boast. And the only way that can be possible is if this is true. The Calvinistic understanding of soteriology, which is the biblical understanding of soteriology, the doctrines of Right? And so the burden of responsibility, you know, if we're stuck back here, nothing wrong with being here. There is something wrong with seeing the truth and rejecting It's upon the semi-Pelagian to say, tell me how things like pervenient grace, and this system of salvation allows God to
1: get glory. Because if you choose God, then part of your heart
0: say salvation was like 99% God and then one percent you. Well, you can boast in that one percent. Right? And so you and you and God are sovereign, therefore. Please Say something if that doesn't make sense. This is critical for masculinity. And as we pour into the next. Well, that's your opinion. I can't believe in a God who, then you believe in an idol. You're bowing down to Baal or Molech or Chemosh or Shiva or Vishnu or whoever it might be or Hydra. Okay?
1: A.W. Tozer
0: said, quote, to say that God is sovereign is to say that he's supreme over all things, that there's no one above him, that he's absolute Lord over creation. It is to say that his lordship over creation means that there's nothing out of his control, nothing God hasn't foreseen and planned. God's sovereignty logically implies his absolute freedom to do all that he wills to do. John Feinberg, uh, the son of Charles Feinberg, uh, Charles Feinberg is one of uh, MacArthur's professors, God is, this is from, by the way, an excellent book. You want to get a good meaty book on God, it's called No One Like Him. Anybody read that? No One Like Him. It's a good one. Uh, It's real good. No One Like Him by John Feinberg. Uh, It's the series, what's the series called? Um, Bruce Demarest's book, uh, The Cross and Salvation, also a must-have on your shelf must have the cross and salvation bruce demarest same series god is the ultimate final and complete authority over everything and everyone whatever happens stems from his decisions and control god's sovereign will is also free for nobody forces him to do anything and whatever he does is in accord with his own purposes and wishes this is a strong notion of divine sovereignty one typically held by calvinist theologians i believe the biblical evidence about the areas of divine control support this understanding of sovereignty whenever someone scoffs at you for believing in a Calvinist theology asks them, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? What don't you like about it? Well, we're robots and you won't ever evangelize and you don't care about people being saved. And uh, that's unfortunate. The greatest missionaries in history have
1: been Calvinists. One Carey. Right? And Iron Judson, Henry Martin, John G.
0: Patton, the Apostle Paul. Others, they've been firm believers in the sovereignty of God. Because if God isn't sovereign over salvation, what hope do we have that a person will get saved? Tim, what hope do we have that a person will get saved if God isn't sovereign over salvation? Zero. (laughs) That's exactly right. Ephesians 2.1, we're dead in sin, so we're never going to choose God. Never, ever, ever. Not if we had ten thousand lifetimes and had ten thousand miracles appearing before us every day for those ten thousand lifetimes, we would still never choose God.
1: Were it not for John three, it's the Spirit who comes and gives regeneration.
0: That's how dead and sinful man is. The revivals at Asbury right now. You guys, seen that in the news? Interesting. Asbury uh, Asbury University in Kentucky—is that what it is? Yeah. When I came into Wyoming, I came out east, so there's still a full half of our country that I'm not familiar with. To my shame, shame. Um, Florida—I'm kind of familiar with Florida. I like Florida. It's like the Wyoming of the Gulf. Huh, Phil. Florida is legit. Yeah, I do too. Uh, but there's these supposed revivals happening right now, today, this morning, at Asbury University. They started with a chapel service. When was it? Like a week ago? Tell me out here. A yeah, week, week and a half ago, and like, like it was a chapel service, and it never stopped. Overnight, constantly. Sit, let's chit chat about that for a little bit. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Those of you who have seen it or are more familiar with it than me. On the one hand, praise God that there, you know the people aren't out smashing and grabbing, you know stuff, burning down police precincts, and you know this kind of garbage. So, so praise God that there's people getting together, singing and talking and praying and talking about God.
1: That's great, wonderful. Um. As far as naming it a revival by the technical term,
0: how should we how should we think about that? Paul says to be discerning and what's that?
1: Okay. Is there repentance?
0: Because there, unfortunately, throughout history, in the name of Christianity, sometimes emotionalism versus, as Will rightly said, true repentance. Other thoughts?
1: Mm
0: Exactly. Yep. That's the other thing we need to think about yeah what uh parker what passages do you have to substantiate the claim that uh some some people would call you a naysayer oh you're a naysayer there's great stuff happening there time will tell okay so if a good
1: work had begun any other passage yeah yeah that's Yeah, which
0: it again would be, right, so those are fruit. Uh, John 15, 1 through 10 really, and then, of course, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, which this, this would
1: all, this is all going to be the test.
0: Yeah, abstain from wickedness.
1: God's firm foundation
0: stands out in the seal. God knows those who are His. Yeah. Every man who's name is called, sing the word. Yeah, good. That's cool. so. On the one hand, I think you know, let's be cautiously encouraged. People are getting together. They're wanting to sing. They're, there's some kind of interest in God. Some kind of interest in prayer and scripture. It seems to be
1: wonderful. You know, wonderful.
0: Words matter. This isn't a cupcake. Um, your, uh, you know, your Ford Bronco or whatever it is, your F one hundred and fifty, you know, isn't a violin. Uh, contradiction matters. Words have definition, and so revival. It begs the question as. Terms being slapped on. The road. Let's. What's revival mean? Well, classic, classical Christian definition of revival is a movement of the Holy Spirit. Okay, where masses
1: repent, as Will Riley said, and are regenerated. Okay. A, a movement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, life. Right? Good. Spiritual life.
0: And spiritual life can only happen by the Spirit, John 3, 3 to 8.
1: OK? saying all these people are terrible and this is just a fake
0: thing and they're putting on a theatrical we're not saying that let's talk about the issue revival what does it mean coming to spiritual life it is a movement of the holy spirit will met where masses repent and are regenerated has that happened oh it certainly has happened in history yeah. nineveh that's the biggest revival known to man salvation is of who the lord where hundreds of thousands repented and were saved. <laughs> Nineveh, Assyria. And then from there you have, you know, you have Acts chapter two. Okay, so what revivals have there been in history? Okay,
1: so Jonah, you have Jonah three and four, you have Acts two. Any others you can think of?
0: which one the only one right yeah I, I think you're hard pressed to say that the second and third, people even say there's been a third and a fourth and a fifth. some of our pentecostal friends would say that we might pump the brakes a little bit on that because of this and because of definitions and because of scriptures who is the one who proved to be saved in the in the parable of the soils what's that The fourth, the producer, enduring producer of fruit, right? So, soil one, soil one, the seed falls and there's nothing. There's still a flat line. Seed two and three, this is Matthew 19. This is one of the most important passages to understand in our day. Seed two, excuse, uh, excuse me, soil two, or soil two, or soil three, the seed falls. And there's there's this. There's like an excitement. From flatlining to excitement. Flatlining to excitement. The response to the... But what happens? Hard things. Right? Confront that guy because of sin in his life. Or encounter some suffering. Or he loses a lot of friends because he's a worshiper of the true God now. And so it's like, uh, I, I, that's too much hassle to follow this Jesus and worship God. I'll do it in my own. means you won't do it all, which means unfortunately. This guy falls off too, same thing. Okay, I think this is, uh, verse, this is verse 21.
1: This is verse 22, something like that. And then soil four, the seed falls, and there's the, it'd be more like this. and maybe like this. Something like that. This is the only
0: one that's saved going to heaven, a true believer, regenerate, knows God, has been forgiven of their sins, whatever you want to say. Verse 23 of Matthew 13. And it doesn't look as exciting as fancy. As the other one, he's like, "Oh, this
1: is, this struggles and I and I struggle with sin still and oh, I have up and down days." Well, doesn't Paul say? Doesn't Paul argue in Romans six of the certainty of sanctification? He absolutely does, and there's
0: things that happen in that. that talk more about seven. We'll get there. Well, let's just talk about Romans six for a moment. Sanctification is certain. It's not fancy though. It's not this huge.
1: Oh my goodness! It might
0: be ish, kinda. And this is like,
1: wow,
0: I'm actually kind of cautious about people who seem to come to faith, and there's this huge hype right away. It's, hopefully that's great, hopefully that's real. Hopefully you live and you see people fall away from faith a lot, sometimes it's,
1: it's just a simmer, a gradual, enduring. And hardship and mundanity.
0: What in the wide world of sports does have to do with Asbury? We're talking about We're not picking on Adbury, Asbury. Excuse me. We're talking about what is revival? Yeah. Where is that? Revelation chapter two, three. Yeah, that's a that's a very helpful section, by the way. In Revelation. To go through, there's seven different churches, the real churches. They were uh, in the ancient world, Turkey, uh, modern day Turkey. And Jesus goes through and talks about each of them. Right? They have a name, but they're dead. And the
1: other that I comment, I'll just add this I mean, learning about uh, um, Brainerd, how he
0: got David down Brainerd, down. Yeah. missionary to the American Indians, 1700s, mid 1700s. desire
1: to attach himself to, you know, what was happening in the moon the spirit, and spirit. What seemed to be true revival, he was ostracized from his
0: educators and his At Yale. He went to Yale University, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. That guy has as much grace as a chair. Um, David Brainerd got expelled from Yale. Think about it for a moment <laughs> in like 1750, you know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, as we think about revival, George Whitfield, a Calvinist missionary to the colonies, similar time as Brainerd, rode probably a million miles on horseback. Sick, cold, up and down colonies back in the day, preaching Christ. And I mean, he would draw huge crowds. Benjamin Franklin even loved to go listen to George Whitfield, though, from what we know, Benjamin Franklin ever bowed the knee to Christ. Benjamin Franklin would say I'm not going to believe you know and and submit myself to what he's saying, but I love listening to him. Uh George Whitfield and by the way a re- really good book if you want to read just a page turner Arnold Dallimore D A L I M O R E his two volumes on Whitfield. Uh it's it's just It's better than like any movie or show you'll ever watch. Um, They asked, they asked Whitfield, you know, oh, how many got born again at your revival tonight? How many were saved at your outdoor, you know, meeting tonight? And and all these people would make professions of faith and would walk and do different things, and he would say, I don't know. You know what I mean? Weren't there like twelve people that walked up? He would say, I don't
1: know. We'll see in six months. He didn't do any of that. He never did an altar call. Actually, altar calls didn't yet exist
0: in Whitfield's day. In the mid 1700s, you know, you guys remember from two years ago in church history when we studied Finneism, altar calls didn't exist. You'd ask Brother Whitfield, Brother Whitfield, Brother Whitfield, let's do an altar call tonight. He'd say, a What? Like stand on an altar and go, Hey, what do you mean? What's an altar call? It, it didn't exist yet. That was a cultural implement that came consequent of
1: Pelagianism. Interesting book on that is called Revival and Revivalism.
0: Ian Murray? Ian Murray. Yeah, okay. we're getting into some good stuff this morning. Please make two.
1: Real revivals, like Jonathan
0: than the Great Awakening.
1: The first Great Awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. It started for just expository building. Exactly, that's good. Jonah's preaching was horrible. Forty days and you're gonna burn. That was Jonah's sermon. And it
0: caused the biggest
1: revival in history.
0: It wasn't, oh, God has a wonderful plan for you, and you're so awesome, and he's dying to have you give him the time of day and take him on a walk like your puppy. 40 days, and you're all going to burn. Biggest revival in history. I like that. I don't, I don't, I'm not really going to preach a sermon like that, but that emphasizes this. Jonah 2.9. Salvation is of the Lord. Go ahead. Sorry, Matt. All
1: right, just- and you just see the preaching style, just the preaching of doctrine to of grace, preaching the gospel, and the concern with, with Ashbury. There's just not a, lot of, not a lot of
0: that going on. Yeah, and there's debate as to whether the gospel was even clearly preached in the initial opening sermon uh, eight days ago in that chapel. Right? Uh, and in the opinion of gooder, godlier men than me, that the gospel wasn't even preached. And as Pastor Matt rightly pointed out, that in revivals like the 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 true ing- the main ingredients that you have are biblical uh, biblical preaching exposition
1: right you have a clear gospel preached call to repent right Emphasis on submission to Christ. Uh, again,
0: and as you look at true revivals, th- these seem to be the things that happened. Even in the first Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards was very concerned because there was so much, there was lots of display and happening of
1: emotions And emotions aren't bad, but is there fruit that lasts unto
0: worship, obedience, submission to scripture? That is the thing. And so Jonathan Edwards wrote his magnum opus called Religious Affections. It is fantastic. We're on about our eighth fantastic book this morning. Uh, Religious Affections. So, so good. It's basically a response to the great first great awakening, the great awakening, where he's looking around, and and he's and he's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I th- there are a lot of people getting saved, but like a lot of emotionalism, and oh, you know, people carrying on, and like, oh, is, is there substance to that? Is there the Holy Spirit causing regeneration and true salvation? Is justification happening? And so he writes this, his magnum opus. Which is really a book that, in in large part, looks at what does true conversion look like? What does what is actually a truly saved person, not soil two or three, but a soil four? What does that look like? And and for that reason, a very helpful book. We commend it to your reading. Religious affections. Yeah. Yeah the old bishop ryle thing he writes is good jc ryle anything more books (laughs) we're in trouble (laughs) we're gonna have to all become monks go up to the forest and you know plant potatoes brew beer and read books you know (laughs) that'd be bad that'd go south fast (laughs) just speaking for myself not for you i know you're men but i'm speaking for myself um so, so anyhow, to, to 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 close this up here, <clears throat> yeah, there was a uh, there was a gal, the uh, president of the student body at Asbury last night on Tucker Carlson, and she was talking about, you know, I I don't, what did she say? Did anyone see that? She said, "This this is great. We don't know how long ago or whatever, and it's cool to see." Bless her heart, is God and an interest in the Lord. But time will tell if it's through revival. If, In other words, the Holy Spirit caused masses to be regenerated, to repent, to turn to Christ, which will be shown by an enduring an enduring and increasing sanctification and fruit bearing. That is the thing. And that's why Paul is hammering on that in Romans 6. And why it's kind of sounding repetitive in Romans 6. Because he wants to be so clear that not only is justification only antinomian when justification happens the way to discern it is someone said it earlier he began to work in you will complete it until the day of christ jesus you'll keep going there's no such thing as i used to be a christian and i'm not now two and three jesus says and also first john 219 says you never were it was just
1: this emotionalism you got excited and then, you yeah, you got a liftoff, but the ball fell down quickly. Which brings us back
0: to the doctrines of sovereign grace. He who began, Philippians 1.6, he who began it, he who began the good work, will complete it, because all whom God saves, he sanctifies every Every plant that's been planted of my Father, it'll keep going.
1: every work that God the Father begins will endure. But if it's just sort of emotionalism, hype, a movement of the glands, it will last. Being a Christian is hard' it's hard.
0: you can't do it. Unless God began working the stuff Jesus commands us to do, the obedience He puts before us, and then the hard things that happen, and you're majorly in the minority. I want to talk about a minority group. It's those who are saved. And, uh, and the hard things that you go through. Keep going, can only be God. Right? Amen. And those, those, they will endure, no matter what happens to you. Exhibit A, Job. Exhibit B, Peter. Exhibit C, every Christian. All right. Um, Colby, would you close this in prayer?
1: Father, we well, just want to say thank you for your sovereign grace, your sovereignty over all things, not to exclude our own um, saved sanctification. Thank you this morning just uh, for the ways in which your word equips us, strengthens us, encourages us, helps us. Thank you for your promise to complete the work you've begun in us and help us learn to as we go out to bear fruit and to have just a higher view of you and you bring back to name. Amen. Thanks.